please stand as you are able for the reading of today's New Testament lesson from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Er kwam een engel van de Heer bij Philippus. Hij zei tegen hem, ga tegen de middag naar de weg die van Jeruzalem naar Gaza gaat. Dat is een eenzame weg. Philippus ging erheen. Op een gegeven moment kwam daar een Ethiopier aan. Hij was een belangrijke dienaar van de Ethiopische koningin Kandase. Hij was haar opperschatsbewaarder. Hij was naar Jeruzalem geweest om God te aanbidden. Nu was hij op de terugweg. In zijn wagen las hij hardop uit het boek van de profeet Jesaja. De Heilige Geest zei tegen Filippus: Ga naast de wagen lopen. Filippus liep erheen. Hij hoorde de man uit de profeet Jesaja lezen. Filippus vroeg hem: Begrijpt u wat u leest? De man antwoordde: Hoe zou ik het kunnen begrijpen als niemand het me uitlegt? En hij vroeg Filippus om in te stappen en naast hem te komen zitten. Het gedeelte dat hij las was dit. Net als een schaap dat wordt weggebracht om geslacht te worden... en net als een lam dat niet protesteert als het geschoren moet worden... zo doet hij zijn mond niet open. Hij werd gevangen genomen en onrechtvaardig veroordeeld. En wie van de mensen van zijn tijd kon het iets schelen... dat hij uit het leven werd weggerukt en gedood? En de man zei tegen Filippus: Vertel mij... Over wie heeft de profeet het hier? Over zichzelf of over iemand anders? Toen gebruikte Philippus dat gedeelte uit de boeken om hem over Jezus te vertellen. Ze kwamen langs water. De man zei, kijk, daar is water. Is er iets op tegen dat ik word gedoopt? Philippus antwoordde, als u met uw hele hart gelooft, is er niets op tegen. Hij antwoordde, ik geloof dat Jezus Christus de Zoon van God is. Hij liep de wagen stoppen. Philippus liep met de man het water in en doopte hem. Toen ze uit het water waren gekomen, nam de geest van de Heer Philippus mee en de man zag hem niet meer. Maar hij reisde blij verder. Philippus bleek plotseling in Astot te zijn. Hij reisde daar rond om in alle steden het goede nieuws te vertellen, tot hij bij Caesarea kwam. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Mark, for sharing the lesson with us. Mark uh, speaks in his native tongue, the scripture reading on this Pentecost Sunday, uh, Dutch. And uh, I'm not sure what he said, but it was great to see on the screen uh, the reading as well. Mark, we're grateful. Each service this morning, we'll be hearing the reading of the Scripture in a different language. And especially, uh, I want to give thanks to our neighbors from the Mahanam Church who are with us. I'd like for us to express our appreciation again to them. Um, so... We remember so well last year at Pentecost, your presence with us and how much it meant to us. Uh, they are a part of the largest refugee ministry, the largest refugee church in Music City in Nashville, and Brother Joseph is their pastor. Their church started years ago, I believe in 2004 maybe, is that right? Uh, underneath a tree in a camp in Uganda. 
And now it continues here in Nashville, and it is a great joy to have friends with us today from the Congo, from Rwanda, from Burundi, from the Central Africa Republic, and we're grateful especially for your presence here with us at Brentwood on this Pentecost day. If you didn't know, we also have some other neighbors. We have about 1,200 United Methodist neighbors who will be coming through our doors on Wednesday morning, bright and early. Some of them will be here tomorrow, Monday and Tuesday, setting up as we again for, uh, for this year will host our United Methodist annual conference. So we have Tennesseans, Middle Tennessean neighbors coming from all over Middle Tennessee. And I wanna thank all of you uh, those of you who are volunteering, some of you are taking off work to be here, and the hospitality effort here is always amazing, and so we are so grateful to you. This is a part of what we do as neighbors, and we're right towards the last two, three weeks of this series on neighbors, in which we've been thinking together that the simplest form of evangelism, the easiest form of evangelism, is simply loving your neighbor as yourself. And so every week we've been getting a challenge. I wanna tell you uh, something that happened as a result of the neighbor challenge two weeks ago. I was having lunch uh, after worship, I think it was maybe Tuesday, uh, two weeks ago uh, across the street, and the person that I was having lunch with is a member of this church, and so we were sitting there and our server came and before she took our order, he looked at her and he said, uh, ma'am, if you have a minute, uh, we have this crazy pastor in our church and, and he has asked us to, to pray with our neighbors about a particular need that they may have. Uh, is there anything that I can pray with you about? And she was shocked. She was surprised. She said, I've really never been asked that before. Can I, can I think about it? And he said, sure. And so she, she took our order, she brought our food, and then she told us her name and her prayer request. And I won't share it with you, but it was a, it was a prayer request about her family, and she thanked us for that, and we prayed over the lunch table about that need. A week later, this past week, I went back with another friend, and there was our server, the same server, and thank God I remembered her name and I remembered the prayer request and I said how is so and so doing and she said you won't believe it he actually called me this morning and I had not heard from him in some time he called me this morning and I want to thank you so much for your prayers that's pretty amazing isn't it and it's so simple but you just have to be intentional on this day 2,000 years ago, there was a movement that began with just a handful of disciples. In fact, Acts chapter 1 counts the number. There were 120 charged, uh, that were charter members who gathered together. And Luke says in Acts 1, while they were praying, the wind and fire fell from heaven. And suddenly... All of Jerusalem began to hear in language that they could understand the gospel, and the mission went viral. That's fascinating to me that in the book of Acts, Acts 1-8 gives us kind of a premise for the whole mission of the church. Acts 1-8, the risen Christ said to these charter members these words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, 
right here at home in Judea and Samaria and to the utter ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, it happened. The Spirit detonated, ignited that handful of disciples, this tiny band, to go global with their witness. The Holy Spirit within them. God the Father is God above us. God the Son is God beside us. But God the Holy Spirit is God within us. And the mission begins to go viral. In fact, Acts 2 says there were 3,000 who were baptized on day one, on this day, 2,000 years ago. As the Spirit continued to move within the church, the witness of the body was met with both acceptance and rejection. Some things never change, do they? There were many who responded. There were many who rejected the message, of course. And in Acts 7, we see the first Christian martyr, whose name was Stephanos. We call him Stephen, one of the seven deacons who was set aside to assist the apostles in the ministry of the church. He was stoned to death because of his testimony, because of his preaching. And yet, what's interesting about it is that his death didn't hinder the gospel. On the contrary, it seemed to just fuel the movement. The blood of the martyrs is like fanning the flames of the gospel. After Stephen's death, the disciples began to scatter. They, they were dispersed. They, they moved out of their home area. They left Jerusalem. They went into Judea and beyond and became refugees. And here's the interesting thing about refugees. When they go to a new country, they take their faith with them so that even the conflict that they've endured serves to expand the mission. Here's what the Holy Spirit does with friction. Friction can become traction for the Holy Spirit for a greater witness. I remember as early as 1982 when I was in seminary, our evangelism professor George Morris said, we will live to see the day in the 21st century in America where we will need those from other countries to come to us to bear witness to what Jesus is doing. And we're experiencing that prophecy this morning through this choir. One of those refugees was named Philip. And this is not Philip the apostle from Bethsaida. There were five apostles who were from the fishing village of Bethsaida. No, this is Philip the evangelist who, like Stephen, was also one of the seven deacons who was elected to serve the widows and the orphans. The Scripture tells us that Philip was a Hellenistic Jew. What does that mean? Ethnically, racially, he was Jewish, but culturally, he was Greek. In other words, he spoke the Greek language. After Stephen's martyrdom, he was led by the Spirit to leave Jerusalem to go to Samaria, which was a difficult place to bear witness. And so Acts 1, verse 8, is happening. The Spirit is pushing beyond its ethnic roots beyond its origins now to the ends of the earth. 
And here's where the story gets interesting in Acts 8. In verse 26, chapter 8, this spirit-led refugee named Philip feels a nudge. Here's what the verse says. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Do you see on the map from Samaria around Jerusalem to Gaza? It's about, it's about 50 miles. And later we find out he goes to Azotus, and then he goes back up into Caesarea. Uh, this is often the way mission is. It's not, it's not an easy linear route. It's more like an EKG, right? That's ministry. That's discipleship. It's messy. So an angel nudges Philip to take this wilderness road. The Scripture says it was a wilderness road. In other words, it was off the beaten path. It was in the middle of nowhere. The word wilderness in the Scripture conveys the idea of uninhabited, sort of uncultivated, inhospitable territory. And yet Philip doesn't argue with God, I would have, but like a good Methodist, he's willing to itinerate. The Scripture says he got up and went according to the urging of the Spirit. Now, we've just honored Toy and David uh, as candidates to be ordained on Wednesday, and Toy and David, you will be asked the question on Wednesday by the bishop, will you go wherever the bishop sends you? Now, there is only one right answer to that question. <laughs> if you say no, or why, uh, there will be no laying on of hands. <laughs> Philip doesn't ask why. He doesn't ask what for. He doesn't say, are you sure? He responds in obedience to the Spirit's lead. And along the way, on that desolate wilderness road, seemingly going nowhere, he runs into an interesting character, a person of African descent from Ethiopia. Now, you need to understand that in the mind of a Mediterranean Jew, Ethiopia was considered the end of the earth. Uh, we would have called it the boondocks. I remember when I was growing up just eight miles north of here, I thought if you passed Old Hickory going south, you were basically going to Timbuktu because there wasn't anything out here. That was Ethiopia in the mind of a Mediterranean Jew. It was like going to, to bug tussle or, or whatever, whatever word you use for it. And he runs into this Ethiopian who is a man of distinction, apparently. He's a bigwig. He is a court official of the Kandaki. It reads Candace. The proper pronunciation is the Kandaki, and that's not a name. That's a title for the queen mother of Ethiopia, or what we might call Cush. He is the secretary of the treasury, and he's got wheels. He's driving a company chariot, and this is no Chevy. It's not a Ford. It's a Bentley. It's a Mercedes, it's a Rolls. Leather interior, alloy wheels, probably had XM radio. And what you notice is he has a scroll, which means two things. He's educated and he's affluent. 
He has a Williamson County tag. He's on his way home now from Jerusalem because Gaza is about as far south as you can go in Israel, and then it begins to move towards the African interior through Egypt. He's on his way back home, but he's been to Jerusalem for what purpose? He went to worship. Now that's interesting. That means that he's probably a God-fearer. He's a proselyte. He's not an ethnic Jew. He's an Ethiopian, but he believes in one God. He's a monotheist. He believes in Yahweh. And apparently, at the command of the Kandaki, at the queen, he has made a trip to the temple. And there's one other minor detail I forgot to mention about this man. He's a eunuch. As early as the 21st century BCE, it was the practice of Eastern monarchs and rulers to emasculate a small percentage of males before puberty. And later they would be assigned to civil service. They became courtiers or chamberlains or guardians of the harem. Because they were genderless, they were considered to be safe. And so this eunuch has been to the temple and somehow obtained a scroll. And there's a touch of irony here because the law, according to Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, says, and I quote, no one who has been emasculated shall be admitted into the assembly of the Lord. But he's been to the temple. He went to worship. And so I need to ask the question, what is up with that? Well, maybe, maybe sometimes the rules don't apply to people of power, right? If you're a person of prestige or privilege, the rules don't necessarily apply to you. Dignitaries don't always play by the rules. Besides, you know the golden rule, and I'm not talking about the one that Laura preached about. I'm talking about he who makes the gold makes the rules. We know that. And so this guy, this privileged treasurer of the queen mother is on his way home, and the spirit says to Philip, follow that car. And he does. Luke says in the book of Acts that he comes alongside the chariot. The phrase to come alongside is the language of hospitality. It's friendship. It's what it means to be a neighbor. And Philip hears this guy reading aloud, which is what people did in that day because the Torah was meant to be read aloud, not just quietly. And he hears this eunuch reading the scripture aloud and he asks the question you know what you're reading and the eunuch responds how can I unless somebody interprets for me and then he invites Philip into his ride shotgun now I want you to notice that Philip waits for the invitation this is critical he doesn't impose himself he doesn't intrude he engages him but he waits for the invite and sure enough, the Ethiopian says, climb aboard. And this isn't in the text, but you know it happened. For a minute, when he got in the cabin of that chariot, he was absolutely mesmerized by the upholstery. And for a second, all he could say was, dude. 
Now, that's the Revised Chapel version, but it's there. Dude, by the way, dude, by the way, is a Hebrew word meaning dude. <laughs> and he's thinking to himself, man, if I had some wheels like that, I could do some mission. And then I want you to notice what he's reading. This is in Isaiah 53. By the way, if you didn't know, the prophet Isaiah is Luke's favorite book because he quotes it over and over and over. And this is what he's reading. He's reading the suffering servant text. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his descendants for his life is taken from the earth. And that guy, this guy's just reading that text. He's fixated. He's obsessed with this verse. And you know why? Because that's his story. He sees himself in the text. You ever do that where you're reading the Scripture and you see yourself in the text? This guy is the suffering servant too. He knows what it's like to be shamed, humiliated, silenced, cut off. He's a eunuch, and he has no descendants. At this point, he asked Philip, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message. It says in verse 35, and Philip grabbed his chance. <laughs> And using this very text, he preached the gospel to him, and he told him the story of Jesus who gave his life for our sins. He took advantage of the opportunity to share his faith with an Ethiopian neighbor. And wouldn't you know it, as they're riding along, they just happen to come to a little stream, a little brook, and the eunuch says, you, you don't suppose, you, you don't think it would be all right, do you? Do you, you think that Jesus would let me in? And they waded into the water, and Philip said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yes, come in. The law said no, and the gospel said yes by the way if you read the rest of the scroll which we don't usually do that you'll see why Philip baptized him if you go three chapters ahead Isaiah 56 listen to these words do not let the foreigner join to God say the Lord will surely separate me from his people do not let the eunuch say I'm just a dry tree for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs that keep my Sabbath who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. And Acts 1-8 is happening again. It's going viral. Geographically, culturally, socially, spiritually. 
in a creek bed in the wilderness in the middle of Timbuktu. <laughs> a man with no future finds one. Immersed into an everlasting name that is above every name, the only name under heaven and earth by which we are saved, the name of Jesus, and we are all his descendants. Last word. When we went to Jerusalem, not this last time, but 20 years ago, Sherry and I went to Jerusalem. We went to the church of the Holy Sepulchre. Some of you have been there. It's the traditional site where Jesus was raised from the dead. And on the roof of the church, there's an Ethiopian Orthodox monastery. I remember visiting with one of the priests who served there, who spoke English. And as we talked, he said, all of us here in this monastery owe a debt of gratitude to a brother in Gaza who came home with joy to proclaim a name that for him was better than sons and daughters. A spirit-led neighbor grabbed his chance and God used him to share good news to the utter ends of the earth. And it's still happening. <laughs> It's going viral, and it does so in a simple act of loving a neighbor in the midst of our wilderness. Thanks be to God. In Jesus' name, amen.